let me just finish up the last part of it. Remember I made a statement something like this. Remember we talk about pathogenesis where it is possible for a person to give birth without um, um, uh, the insertion of your injection of the male. It's, it's possible to do that in some, in some animals. And some people want to say that's what happened with Mary, but of course that's not so. Because even if it were possible, though, that Mary would, after a period of time, be able to generate uh, her enough genes to produce a person, science is telling us that it would never be a male. It would have to be a female because of the lack of genes and so on. But I want you to think about this now. Neither could Jesus' conception have occurred only according to a special creation of a nature within the womb of Mary. In other words, some people think that God simply put the divine nature in the womb, and that's how Jesus came about. Now, this happened, though. Think now. This would eliminate his human genetic connection with our humanity if God did that, which is absolutely necessary for our redemption. It would also be in direct opposition to Scripture, which specifically states that Jesus was genetically a part of the human race. We, this is why even when we talk about the death of Jesus Christ and the fact that his body was specially prepared, that's an amazing statement there if you really study it. A body that was prepared by God himself specifically to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Just think about that. God had to do it. Now, according to the writer of the Hebrews, the scripture tells us Jesus took hold of human nature, not the nature of angels. Let me read that passage to you in Hebrews 2. In fact, if you get your Bibles, you can turn to it. This is what it says. Both the one who makes, both the one who makes man holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us who place faith in him, are of the same family. That is important. He's trying to prove here that Jesus is a human being of the same family. So Jesus is not to call them brothers. That's us who place faith in them. He's not afraid or ashamed to call us his brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. This all connects him genetically to the human race. And notice verse 15. Listen carefully now. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. This passage is telling us that only a human being could give us redemption, but it had to be a perfect human being. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, this when it comes to redemption, but Abraham's descendants. Notice that. Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, humans, in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, 
and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is our high priest, but he is a man. He is a glorified man. And he could empathize, he could sympathize with us. What the writer of the Hebrews is saying in these verses is that Jesus is genetically connected to the human race. And that is essential for our salvation. Remember in Genesis 3.15, God is addressing the devil through the serpent. You know what he said? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now that's a strange thing to say because really a woman does not have a seed, generally speaking. All right? The seed is from the man, the egg is from the woman. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So right from the very beginning, the first mention we have of the gospel and the coming of Christ, it tells us that Mary would be a woman who has a seed. That's why Jesus could have the human uh, element as far as his nature is concerned. He got it from Mary. He did not get it from Joseph. He did not even get it from God in that direct sense. He got it genetically through Mary, and she was the only one who did that. That's why when you go to the genealogies, you will find how he, they trace the genealogy of, of Mary and how she is bypassed uh, some of the uh, men who had uh, a curse on them and so on. It's just amazing the way God puts this all together. So let me ask you a question. Remember I said you have to think about this? How could Jesus be the seed of the woman, that is Mary, if she did not supply the egg aspect of his nature? Think about it. Now listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 verse 3. He says this, regarding his son, that's Jesus Christ, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Listen again, Hebrews 2 again. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Where he stayed until the, then it talks about where he was in Egypt for a while. Then he says, he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now when we go over to Hebrews and also the book of Galatians, listen to what the Spirit says. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Remember now, he's saying, tracing Jesus now, back to a descendant of Abraham. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, listen now, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Now this is years and years apart, mine here, but the writer is saying Levi was in the loins, we could say in the genes of Abraham. Now tied that into Galatians 3 verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person who is Jesus Christ. In other words, Genesis 3.15 was specifically talking about Jesus Christ as the seed of the woman. 
Not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman. By the way, this shows the importance of Bible study here and being able to distinguish between plurals and singular. The scripture does not say seeds, meaning many, but to your seed, meaning one person. Every word in the scripture is important. What the writers are saying here, and this is important for us as human beings, Jesus was genetically in his human ancestors. He was in Abraham. He was in the loins even when they were in Egypt. In fact, he was in Abraham and he was still a pagan in the Ur of the Chaldees. Jesus was in the loins of Abraham. All is this to say that Mary was the actual mother of Jesus' human nature, but not of his actual eternal person. Mary was not, however, merely a human channel for his birth. She conceived apart from both human and divine fertilization as such. She conceived as a result of the eternal Son of God through the superintending or overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, not merely entering her womb, but within the egg within her womb. You see, there's some people who teach that Mary's womb was like the ark. And Jesus just dwelled in that ark until he came through. But that is not so. Think about this amazing thing then. And think about the prophecy that we always speak about during Christmas in Isaiah. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And what is that? God with us. That's an amazing statement. God with us. Literally, the text reads in the original, Look, the pregnant virgin is having a son, and she is calling his name Emmanuel. That's what it reads literally in the Hebrew. The point is this. The sign is that the virgin is still a virgin at the time she conceives as well as the time she delivers the child. That's the sign. Notice also Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. A child is born. That's his humanity. That's his connection with us. That's man's part. A son is giving. That's his divinity. That's God's part. The result is Jesus Christ. True God, true man, in one person. The product then is a unique, non-repeatable miracle. That's why it cannot in any way be tested by science. However, as I mentioned today, because of the DNA, science is actually validating what the scripture is teaching. They're finding out now that every one of the genes that we have in our DNA has a message on it. And that message instructs that gene what to do. It says, be a handsome fellow like Alan Lee. And that's what happens. It says, have blue eyes. That's what happens. The message is already in the gene. Do you understand what I'm saying? You and I have nothing to do with it. It's a gene with a message on it. It's a code in it. That's why when you hear about Jesus being the Word, you could see the Word of God implanted within every gene that we have. Now listen to this quote. 
we see how that Christ was fully and truly man, the God-man, not God and man, so illustrating physically what had been arrived at theologically by earlier theologians, yet ultimately our only authoritative source for the doctrine of the Incarnation is still the revelation of God in Holy Scripture. We could not discover such things through the medium of science, but having received the revelation of God, we can note that increasing discoveries in science do show how it came about and justify the terms of reference that we have fully understood by us who believe in the word of God. In, the words, in other words, it's telling us all we should know, want to know about ourselves, our redemption, Jesus Christ has given to in the word. And no matter what sign comes up to try to throw the word over, when it's really looked at, correctly, it will validate scripture. Like someone has said, this is amazing. This is unbelievable. This is unthinkable. But it's true. I say, think about that. Because that's what happened on the first Christmas. But now really, how many of us think about that Christmas time? Does it even enter your mind? It boggles my mind. When I was studying this and going, I couldn't even sleep because of the things that start to come to mind and to see how tremendous a miracle this is. How can we celebrate this event and really demonstrate what we think of the one that was born on this day? If we are really thoughtful, we'll be thankful to God. In fact, you know what we did this evening here? We were thanking God for the first Christmas gift. Do you realize that? We were thanking God, praising God for the first Christmas gift. Now, of course, so many of us are involved in partying and reveling and looking for what you get from others. You know, it shows one thing, but it shows what we think about Christmas. But worshiping and praising and giving thanks to God for what he did in Christ and giving to those who cannot give in return show another aspect of Christmas that we as Christians need to adopt. So, in closing, I ask you this. How will you celebrate Christmas this year? Have you really thought about it biblically? Will you follow in the steps of the Saint Nick? Remember we talked about Saint Nick? He was a real one. Santa Claus was real. Now, see, did, now you all didn't believe that, but Santa Claus was real. Might not be the way that we talk about it, but there was a real Saint Nick. And he actually gave to the poor food and clothing, but he didn't look for anything back. He gave it secretly, all right? So I'm saying, will we follow in the steps of the true Saint Nick, who boldly and fearlessly proclaimed the full deity and humanity of Christ? Remember, we told you the story where Saint Nick was in uh, one of the councils in the early church, who were debating the deity of Christ, and one of the guys were going on that Jesus was not divine, he couldn't be divine, he couldn't have a virgin birth. And St. Nick got so uptight about it, he actually walked over and he punched the guy in the face because he was so strong in his belief that Jesus Christ was both God and man. So I ask you again, will you follow in the steps of the true St. Nick who boldly and fearlessly proclaimed the full deity and humanity of Christ, and on that basis, we give unselfishly and unsolicited to the poor and needy. Or will you secularize the sacred by refusing to distinguish and separate them in our celebration? 
We have an opportunity to do that every Boxing Day. We want to feed the poor, the needy, the street people, the homeless. And all we ask you to do is to have one plate set aside, cook one plate of food separately, and bring it out to church so we can give it to others. Is that, is that a big thing to do? Is that a sacrifice even? No. It's something that you do anyway. And so I ask you, I encourage you, because we do need more food donations now. So my question to you is, how will you celebrate Christmas this year? Will you do it in the same way you always do without thinking about what really happened? Or will you think about the incarnation of Christ and the tremendous miracle that occurred? And the fact that we are celebrating the most awesome, the most fantastic event ever to transpire in the history of mankind. That's what Christmas is all about. If it's anyone or ones who can show this, who must show it, it's believers. Unbelievers will not do it. And I say again, it's up to us to institute, to implement a new kind of culture when it comes to Christmas. If you just go following how things were done because that's the way it was done, it won't go any get anywhere like that. We have to make the changes ourselves. Amen? Brother Jerry? Would you close out, please? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you again this evening that we have had the privilege to gather together, and we have had the privilege to gather around your table and to remember what you have done for us on Calvary's cross. And again, we've been reminded from your precious word about your great and miraculous birth, how you came into the world for the purpose to redeem us back to you. And as we go and leave this place this evening, our Father, we would ask that we would continue to remember why we celebrate Christmas. We ask that your people would be people that would live lives that would amplify the love of Christ. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.